Hey, what's up, dude? What's up, buddy? You ever heard of uh, bad? Bad what? Bad breath? You have bad breath. Shit, I've smelt it. It's real bad. Okay. Uh, first of all, shut up. Uh, second of all, I'm talking about bad workwear. Oh, yeah? What are they, like a workwear company or something? Oh, wow. You're an idiot. You're wearing their hat. This is Derek's second story. I thought it said dab. All right, welcome to Second Story, everyone. My name's Corey Leckie. With me, as always, is Josh Sibalski. And today, uh, we have a very special guest and a good friend of mine, Derek Dockstater. Derek and I have worked... Um, many different capacities really, but mostly in the marketing for, for various businesses that we've worked for. And uh, Derek is the proud owner of a company called Builder Gear, which also houses bad workwear. So Derek, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. It's my pleasure. For those that don't know what Second Story is, basically uh, what we're doing is uh, we're talking with guests who have had um, sort of a pivotal moment in their life and we have many pivotal moments in our lives but um i guess that that one that's the defining moment that has kind of changed the course of what you do so derek i'm gonna kind of let you just take it away and tell us your second story man awesome yeah i know i appreciate you having me and and the concept of this podcast i think is just so interesting because you know if if you're intrigued by listening to people's stories it really it never really comes down to something obvious or straightforward. And, and I find so much inspiration meeting with people in all different facets of, of business, along with just different careers and kind of hearing what put them on their path. And uh, it's, it's like I said, it's usually something pretty abstract that gets them there. And I'm no different. Um, you know, for me, an obvious you know, change in the path was when I left sort of working for someone for working for myself. But that to me was sort of a byproduct of kind of the beginning of where my path started on this right direction. Um, and to kind of get back to that, we're going back to the year 2000. So protect your computers, <laughs> Y2K crash. Um, I don't know what the bands Blink-182, like we're going way back there. But uh, yeah, me and, my, no, me and my buddies were all planning to take off and just just travel like once the whole grid shut down right right yeah. i didn't have such a master plan it was more uh new year's eve was going to be a really good party and we did have a lot of fun but um yeah we're going back to high school and you know for me i would i would really pinpoint it to the time uh in my life where i met my wife um it seems cliche but i was a teenager and you know at that time you would look at me and go i don't know what this kid's gonna do um and I'm curious to find out and not necessarily for good reasons, because, you know, I was the class clown. I was, you know, big into sports. I was, you know, high energy, couldn't sit still, couldn't focus on much. And, you know, my parents always joked that, you know, if he could give 30 minutes to something, we'll be surprised. And, you know, the typical kind of ADHD label that might be thrown at a child at a young age. But, um, you know, I was also kind of burdened by having a really broad social circle and in those circles were positive and negative influences and you think at 15 years old we were getting we were getting pulled into many different paths and I think I could have followed some folks that um, ultimately had pretty bad outcomes anywhere from prison to death to drug addiction to you know all those sort of negative things and at that really pivotal moment in my life where my career path at 15 was, I was going to study drama through high school and try to be an actor out of Sarnia, Ontario. So I think we could take a stab at where that would have landed me. Um, and, you know, didn't really think about my future. Didn't really think about what next steps were going to be. I didn't really think about education or specializing in anything. It was just, where's the next fun time going to be? and living in the moment, which, you know, we can envy now as adults, but as a kid trying to think for the future, I didn't have a plan. And then uh, I met this young lady who was a year older than me, beautiful and sweet and kind and organized and 
very, very motivated and on the right path. And she was just like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? And it was really kind of that first eye opener that my plan was already failing. And not because she was trying to look at it and say, you know, you can't be an actor or this isn't a good skill set. She just kind of looked at it and said, I've known you for a short period and I know there's more in the tank. And that to me was like one of the first people that really bought into me. And I think, you know, when I think of where the rest of my life went, that starting point of belief, it was huge. Right. So, um, right away she was just like, okay, let's, let's sit down with your timetable and let's figure out like what you're actually studying. And, you know, she put me on the path of, you know, what, what if you got an academic scholarship and my average at the time guys was 65%. And I was so proud of that because I passed, like, that's all I wanted. <laughs> just get me through. Right. Um, Sounds and, familiar. Yeah, yeah. And she, I, rem- I remember bringing my report card home to my parents one year and was ecstatic because it spelled ACDC. <laughs> and, and that was kind of like an homage to where my headspace was at. But, um, she said to me, you know, why don't we, why don't we put a plan together that, you know, gets you sort of a safety net. And I took drama. She kept that in there for me, but she's like, what about business? What about math? What about this? What about that? And she also knew how to play the system. Cause she was a year older and she's like, well, you got to get a high average. You got to have all your OAC credits at the time. We had grade 13. And she's like, you're French. Why aren't you taking OAC French and, and getting a high mark in that? Why aren't you taking OAC drama knowing you'll get a high mark in that? And that would be another submission. And then her path was being a math teacher. So I had a very good looking tutor for free anytime I wanted. And my mark, even the first year of dating, my average went over 80%. And by the end of high school, with her guidance and just sort of, you know, capturing what was inside of me already, um, I ended up with like, you know, high 90s and a full academic scholarship as a result. And the things that she said to me, I should consider felt so foreign, felt unachievable. And I really put it down to that first moment of belief in me that she was like, no, you can do this and we're going to do this. And everything she said I should do, I did. And I owe it all to her. And coming out of school, you think, okay, well, now I'm going to university, I'm on a different path, I'm, I'm getting a degree, I'm leaving that, that schooling, and I'm getting into my first jobs and all of that, like, you can really start to understand how, in the absence of that, the rest of this just wouldn't have fallen in place the way it did. So I owe it to you, Rhonda, she's my soulmate, but that's, <laughs> that's the beginning of my story that I think is a good place to start. It's interesting because I think, uh, well, Josh and I both talked on on this podcast that we've had we've had similar uh, stories to that with our wives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. just they came at different different times, right? You you found yours at fifteen. I found mine at twenty one. Sabalski. Yeah. I was. Uh, ooh, how old was I? Twenty seven. Yeah. 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 But it, it's it's interesting how um, how these women have put us on a path, and and I think all three of us were on a, kind of a terrible path prior yeah. to meeting them. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, well, terrible terrible is a little harsh, but I, I think okay, I think we, me and I think Josh we know, were on terrible paths. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we're smart enough to realize how the story was going to end, and I think we'll pick the the movie we're in now currently for sure. You know, yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, and and I think. Uh, I think we should have dropped this maybe on Mother's Day, right? Give a big, a big shout out to our wives and what they mean to us. But they say, you know, every great person has, you know, a better half. And, and, you know, I think the, the, the importance and the significance of finding the right person, it doesn't have to be your spouse. It could be a mentor. It could be a great coach. It could be a great teacher. I mean, anybody that allows you to really, kind of reach your potential, I think is a very blessed person to have, like you're blessed to have that person in your life. And I just happened to marry mine. Right. So, um, and I still have her and she's still my rock and she's still somebody who fills my cup and also pushes me to be a better version of me. Right. So having that in, in my camp is, is huge. But I, I, I think when we try to distill it back to like, where did things go right? That it was with her. That's where, that's where it really started. 
besides your wife, have you had other mentors along the way that have kind of guided you towards your, your goals and your career path? Yeah. I mean, I've had a few, um, I was really lucky coming out of, um, coming out of university, you know, I got into financial advising and, uh, you know, that was a very scary time, like right as the markets crashed, like that's when I was coming, coming in about 18 months into my career. Um, and I left that and went back to marketing, which is what I went to school for. And in Sarnia, there's not a lot of marketing work. Um, and I was really blessed to meet, you know, Rob Dawson and, and uh, Rich Bouchard. These were young entrepreneurs with an agency in Sarnia doing some pretty impressive things for a small business. Um, and, you know, at the ripe age of 23, I think the best thing that both of those guys did was they gave me they gave me opportunities that my experience didn't warrant me having. Um, I was underqualified for everything I did in that job and allowed to, to fail, allowed to take risks, allowed to take chances. And, um, you know, another colleague of mine, Brian Whitehead, who was there with the, me, you know, we kind of look at it as like a very obscure MBA program because it was like, we did so much in so little time. I was there for maybe four and a half years and the amount of things I was able to be involved in in such a short period was better than any schooling, better than any, you know, f formulated program you could go to kind of advance your knowledge. Like we were in the trenches and we were doing crazy things for our age. And I think that was an experience that, you know, when I left there to get into management and marketing with the YMCA, um, when I entered that role, now I am qualified. Now I, I do have the experience. Uh, and in some facets, I had experienced more real life marketing than the role was even requiring me to have and able to bring those insights and kind of change the philosophy of marketing within that organization. So I don't think I would have been able to secure that position and evolve in that position to a vice president um, in the absence of, of, you know, meeting those two guys at Anivity early in, in my career. So um, that's an experience I would never, I would never have, you know, given up and I'm very grateful for. So you talked about you were allowed to fail and you're kind of given room and, and to develop and stuff like that. And you're underqualified. How far out of your own comfort zone did you have to go in that position to sort of get to where you, what your ultimate goal was? Well, I think a great, great part of being a good leader, which we had there was like recognizing that although we felt we might fail, that they could see that we were equipped to succeed. And um, the, the role that I was in was meant for me. You know, I was in business development. I was in, in marketing and doing, doing the things I'd been passionate about doing. So it wasn't like getting somebody who doesn't like to present to, to get in front of a thousand people. It was my wheelhouse. It was just, I'd never done it at that capacity. So I didn't start doing a little project for a local business. I was working right off the hop with a national organization and building, you know, a pretty significant platform for sponsorship with, with Canadian uh, charities. So like that right off the hop was my first crack at that was with something fairly large and significant. So those are the kind of examples where I'm like, at, at my age, I've never done this before. And they're just handing me the docket and say, make it happen. How do I do it? I don't know, figure it out. And we did. And I think those are, that's precious, man. Learning that there's going to be a blank piece of paper someday that you got to fill and you're going to get tasked to do things that you don't know how to do it. And life is full of those moments where you don't know and you are doubting yourself. And I think what I learned out of that was I had a lot of talent around me, like a lot of talent, great designers, great copywriters, all sorts of folks there that were really great. And lean on that and and not be the smart person in the room and 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 be humble about the things you can't do and um take more of a team approach to to the things that you're tackling and learn how to ask for help and be honest about the things you don't know because i think the people that feel like their their authority or their ability to be taken seriously in their position is rooted in knowing everything i think those are the ones that don't advance. I think those are the ones that uh, tend to weirdly enough fail faster than the ones that are showing up and saying, I'm going to learn how to do this and I don't know how to do it. So that, that was kind of my approach and, and it served me really well. That was a nivity, right? 
the mm-hmm. marketing agency. Um, I think when you worked there, you, you gained a lot from them as far as mentorship goes. And um, myself, I, I actually have considered you to be uh, a big mentor to me in business and, and you've helped me along the way and inspired me through, through a lot of process of me building myself up in my own business. Um, how, how have you, um, built on that throughout the years and, and what do you, what, like, do you like to pass that on? Is that something that you like to do is pass on knowledge to people now? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh... I always approach any relationship with starting with what can I bring to the table, not what can I, what can I take? Um, whether it's just telling a joke or making someone laugh or, um, you know, wanting to host a party versus attend a party, like, you know, any relationship in my life, I just, I just find that more, more, uh, fulfilling. And I've been very blessed. Like I've mentioned, I can think of a lot more mentors, even Jim Jansen at the Y. I mean, like great people, great leaders that have given me tools that I, I will never be able to be taken away from me. And these are forever tools that I've got um, and I've been given that if I can give one thing to somebody, like I'm, I'm ecstatic and, and I'm looking for those opportunities all the time. And um, I really think that, you know, in the absence of your willingness to share, how can you be eager to receive, right? And um, that kind of reciprocity factor. And not only that, like I look at, you know, even someone like yourself, Corey, like when we were having those big life conversations about trying to get you to do sort of put you on the path where, where you are now was me seeing somebody who was unhappy in a role that really wasn't fully enveloping what you are as a creative, as a passionate creator and, and, and talent and going, how do we get this guy to be sitting in the seat where he wakes up every morning and goes, this isn't even a job. And you weren't there yet. And if, if I can not force you into a direction that I believe is right, but more so give you the ability to evaluate what that would look like and go chase that, whether that was working with me or working elsewhere, I didn't care. I just wanted to see you navigate that path. And I, for me, it's not saying, oh, I think I get this. I'm just telling you how I got there. And if my method of figuring that out for myself can be valuable for you to do it, then that to me is a more um, beneficial thing than giving you some, you know, hot stock tip or, or a way to, you know, compound interest. It's like, no, I'm giving you some guidance on things that are a little bit more macro that have a bigger impact on your life. And we can get into those nitty gritty micro elements, but that's the kind of guidance that I've received. And I feel like if I can reciprocate that in any capacity, that can fundamentally change some people's lives for the better. It's funny you talk about like a willingness to share. I didn't really have that before I met my wife and then I met her and, you know, she kind of set me on the right path. And Corey, you probably experienced this too, but um, do you think your your own willingness to share, do you think that was something that you developed over time having met your wife and been sort of mentored? Or do you think that was something that you had all along, you just hadn't realized it? Um, I guess the best way to put it is early in my life, I don't think I had a lot to offer. Like I didn't, I didn't have, you know, if somebody wanted to, you know, learn how to play golf at a young age or something, I might have some tips, but like, I didn't have wisdom. And I think that's just something that as you amass it over time, then, then there's something to give. Right. So I think it was, I think my personality was always there to be wanting to be helpful, but not necessarily being equipped with the things that would bring value to people early in, in, in life. So as that started, you know, accumulating for me personally and and in my career, then right away I was able to kind of translate that into helping other people. And, and, and I do that on the daily, you know, however small, medium or large it is. Like I just find that very fulfilling. And uh, I also think like from a relationship standpoint, um, it just builds a different version of, of friendships, whether it's business or pleasure. I just think, you know, if, if everybody that's engaging together is really out for each other's best interest, that's just, it's a great, great way to form relationships and in the way I approach things. The way we met, 
um, Josh, maybe you don't know this story, but uh, I was I was working in the financial industry as well, and very unhappy because my passion was always in in media and in video and yeah. film production. And uh, out of nowhere, you know, I was kind of uh, I would say kind of at at the ropes end, like uh, I was in therapy for it and all all kinds of stuff. And uh, out of nowhere, Derek calls me never met this guy before in my life and he says hey uh i've heard about you from a few different people around your video production uh very strange request here but i have this marketing coordinator position coming open at the y and it's it's just a one-year contract is that something you'd be interested in and uh i uh, like these these moments come along and and you just have to go you know, I'm not like someone that believes in fate and uh, magical things happening and, you know, sparkly dust in the uniform in in the universe (laughs) that makes things happen, but they do happen. And if you're open to them, you know, great things can come from that. Right. And uh, interestingly enough, though, the the thing that I remember most about that whole situation, because it was several months before that ever actually came into play, like maybe, maybe even like five, six months. Right. Yeah. Um, but after that initial reach out, I started the process to, to leave what I was doing to focus on that. But I remember going, Derek, I need something in writing, Derek, I need a contract. I need, (laughs) I need something before I can quit this job. And, and he basically said to me, you need to quit for you. You need to quit because you're going to follow your dreams, not because you know there's a job sitting waiting for you. Right. So I did. I took that jump. I quit my job. I I just had faith that what I was doing was the right path and that I hopefully had a safety net <laughs> with this relationship that I was building with this dude that called me out of nowhere. So yeah. interesting. We're, I, did, uh, I, did, I did hire him for the record. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. like, what happened? What happened? <laughs> Out of pity, we, right? Sorry, Corey. Change of heart, but I didn't get the budget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> someone, someone better came along. Yeah. I could see someone that Someone with actual marketing experience. Yeah. yeah. Even at that point in your life, Corey, when you're so at the end of things in the corporate world, you still had this allergy to taking that risk. It is the way we're brought up, though. Like At, at least that was my upbringing is always choose a safe path and i think it's safe path tends to lead to dead ends at least that's been my experience um i worry about the generation that's coming up behind us because of this because they are they've been taught their entire lives to play everything safe right like by their parents by school by society everything's safe and you kind of see it now at least like in my world like i work with a lot of young kids in their early 20s coming out of college and stuff like that and they've basically been told their entire life, like, you you don't take risks. You play it safe. You go, you know, you take a corporate job where you get a steady paycheck. That's that's the path to go on. And for both of you, neither of you took the safe path. And I also have always got to have gone the riskier route in my, my life as well. Um, I don't know. It just it seems like it's getting people want more and more to have safety over be, having this willingness to take a chance. That's a good point. And, I mean, I think the the way I would frame it is like, there's a way of taking calculated risk. I don't think I was ever really risky. I'm still not really risky. Um, and like thinking back to like, how did I get my opportunity with that agency in Sarnia? You know, I didn't go quit my job and then, you know, put out some resumes and, and hope for the best. Um, you know, I, I did sort of like Corey did. I sort of tread the line and made the decision to make a move and then look to see what was out there. But how I got that job was I printed a resume. I walked through the front door of the agency. I met Julie, who is my future coworker, and said, hey, I'm really interested in working here. Uh, I've got a marketing background. And as you know, there's not a lot of places where I can hone those skills in this city. And I think I'd be a good fit here. You know, who could I speak to about potentially, you know, looking for opportunities? And she's like, oh, it would be with Rob. And, you know, he's not in right now. And you know, I left her my resume and just kind of thought, you know, that's the end. Like this is, this is one of those all being polite and say, well, we'll take your resume and away you go. And I, I got an email that afternoon. Right. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm in interviews and, and then I'm hired. So 
it wasn't like, you know, there was um, some magical thing that landed on my lap. Like, I mean, sometimes the formula is just go, go after it. And I think to your point, Josh, like one of the things that this next generation is not blessed with is interpersonal skills at the level that I think maybe we, our generation is because it's digital, it's, it's Snapchat, mm-hmm. it's texting, it's, you know, DMing all the ways of we're communicating modernly now is not, is not the same as being in person. So, you know, if there's somebody looking at, you know, what could be my, my magical skill? Do I learn coding? Do I learn AI technology? Like all these up and comers, like what is my magic sword going to be? That's going to allow me to beat the dragon it could be just learning how to speak, like just learning how to look someone in the eye with confidence and have a conversation, look how to build relationships and, and, and network. Like to me, like that skill in the next 10 years is going to be a huge differentiator um, because it's going to become more and more dormant. And I think the roles that, that call for that and can be very fruitful for that don't necessarily need seven, eight years of schooling. Right. Mm-hmm. You can do really well in real estate investing. You can do really well in in even financial advising without dedicating, you know, 10 years of your life to schooling. But if you have the relationship side of things, I think that's the stuff that, you know, I look at my own kids. How do you get that to be a skill that they have that, you know, is just gonna become more and more important and and less and less visible? Like that's where I, I have that in my children. And I'm excited for that for them because I'm like, you guys are halfway there forget the other skills i mean you can go and order a sandwich without breaking out into hives right like (laughs) that's sort of what's coming around the corner so talking about like networking and stuff like that's the whole reason that Corey and i started this was to basically have an excuse to network yeah with with people we otherwise probably would never have a conversation with the the most successful person i've ever met in my life the most successful person i know is probably the best networker i've ever seen the best communicator in terms of like just talking to a stranger yeah he is not that bright in terms of like traditional academics like he once got six percent on a math test in high school like that's that's him but the absolute best networker i've ever seen and he's ultra successful because of it so i think you're right i think that is the the path that we're headed towards if we're not there already i like the word successful i guess i'd ask you two gentlemen what what do you guys consider success? Because I think that's an interesting topic. Because I've I've had different answers for that along different different timelines in my career. So what do you guys define as success? Um, for me personally, and I don't think this is a broad definition. I just I just take this as my own definition. I believe success is waking up every day and not dreading what's gonna what you're gonna do that day. That to me is a success. I don't look at the financial side. I don't look at any of that. I look at, am I going to enjoy that day? And for me, most of my days I do enjoy. So I, I do view myself as a successful person uh, because I get to do a lot of things that I love. I have a family that I get to hang out with that I love. I live in a place that I enjoy. All of those things I'm successful in. So to me, that's the definition of success. Very cool. What about you, Corey? Well, I think um, I think success, much like, I don't know, terms like enlightenment and things like that, like, I, I don't think success is something that you you actually reach. Like I think it's an ongoing kind of an ongoing journey. But um, like I it's feel infinite, like you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I, I feel like you're always working towards some new level of success. Um, and but I think what's important is are you enjoying that journey? Are yeah. you happy in it? Like, it's not always going to be happy, of course, like, especially running a business, you're not always going to be like, man, this is the best, this is the best day of my life. Like, (laughs) you know, things get hard, they do. Um, But are you able to take those hard things and, and run with them and then be fulfilled on, on the outcome of that? And then on a personal side, I mean, I could not be more successful feeling on a personal side. Like I've got, I've got healthy, intelligent children. They've got, you know, no health problems. They're, you know, beautiful, just a beautiful family. My wife, we're, we're partners in life. We, you know, we do everything together. We get along. We're not 
at opposing ends. We work together on things, whether it's financial, whether it's, you know, our work situations, our mental health, whatever it is, um, we're together on that. And to me, that's the, the best success that, that you could ask for. So, yeah. And well, I don't mean to interview the interviewers, but I, I just thought that would be an interesting question to ask you guys. Cause it's usually hearing, hearing everyone else's version of success, but I echo your sentiments, gentlemen. Like, I think it's, I think we're at a similar path in our lives where we can kind of see that. But I, I do think it's important to kind of mention the fact that I think we could all be honest that that's changed. Like I came out of university with dollar bills in my eyes. Like that was, mm-hmm. and it was very um, ego driven. Like even going into university was ego driven. I was looking for a role that I felt was perceived to be um successful like status i went to to, yeah i went to go i went to go i went to school for money and that was the wrong way to handle it i went to school to be an accountant i thought at the time being you know a cpa um would be well respected it's a good secure job good money all that and almost like i wanted a title that would be almost like a shock value to people to be like oh derek's an accountant right right and i went to school first year did or did well, but then second year realized I'm not on the right path. And that was like a pretty big failure for me. Like I felt like a failure changing, changing out of that, like almost like, cause I had lined up everything along the way to get into that program. It was a really hard program to get into. Um, and everything went right. And then I just felt like I made a big mistake. And, and that to me was one of those failures that, I struggled with, I had a really bad bout with mental health and all that was like tied into making the wrong decision. And at sometimes the lower points, you get humbled by it. And that's when I realized that being motivated by something like money is the wrong way to handle it. And I, and I went back to the drawing board about what are my real passions. And I remember my first marketing class and I got my textbook. And I was supposed to read chapter one by the next, by the next class. And I was like five chapters in and just reading it for leisure. And I was like, Oh my God, this is where I belong. And, mm-hmm. you know, I share that because I, I would love for somebody to feel like they're on the path that's ego driven and have the opportunity to change it now because, and it would have been hard to change my mind at that time. But, um, you know, that was one of those things where from that point on, it was not success to me was not defined by money. Success was back to your points, like waking up, being happy, being excited, being engaged in what I'm doing. Um, and as, as I define success, being with my wife so young, you know, family and marriage and all that stuff was on my, it was in my purview at 15. I bought the ring I engaged, we were uh, engaged with at 17 years old. Right. Like this is how long I knew I was going to marry this woman. And, uh, you know, once we got married, had kids and all that back to your point, Corey, like I was joking, like I'm, I'm the richest man I know in, in the things that count. Right. So, um, oftentimes success can be blurred by all sorts of things, but I also do take the approach that I don't believe that we will ever be fully full. Um, if we're really passionate about what we're doing, cause like, you know, if you're a creator, you can create one more thing. If you're an inventor, you can invent one more thing. If, you know, you love yeah. gardening, well, what if I have one more rosebud bud bush? You know, it's like I want more of something, and I think that's what's exciting. There's no end. There's no end, but yeah. if you're chasing monetary things that you think will fill the void, that's a really scary journey because yeah. – billionaires are depressed and, and, and lonely and sad, right? Dude, the, the, the least happy I've ever been in my life was when I was making the highest salary. Mm-hmm. Same. The least safe I ever mm-hmm. felt in my life was when I was at the safest, safest job I had ever been in. That's right. Nice. Yeah. Like feeling, feeling like you were going to be cut at any moment or just say you're, we've talked about this lots, Josh, about, just how I felt, I feel less risk running my own, running my own business. I actually feel more safe in doing that because I'm in control of that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, if people are, are, are aiming for happiness with money, money, money helps. (laughs) We we need money to pay the bills and live, but, um, you're not going to find happiness in the finance. You will find money though, if, if you're successful and, and doing something that you're passionate about, that money's going to come with that. Right. Yeah. Something that I think people forget about money is all money is, is just a representation of value. That's what money is. Right. And I've always, I haven't always looked at it like that, but, um, I do look at it like that now. And I see a lot more value out of the other things in my life, like family, like, friendships relationships uh being creative that all mean i see way more value in that than i actually do in money obviously i still need money to live and to put goofy shit on my walls but it's it's just another thing that is a representation of value to me so that's kind of how i see it um there was a gary v who had the quote about the happiest people he knows make like 45 grand a year i think it was gary v yes he talked about it yeah he was talking about his he's like i know billionaires who are depressed and i know um you know the happiest people i know make 45 grand a year so yeah yeah. he he probably said it more like uh i know fucking billionaires that make 45 (laughs) they're depressed and they make fucking 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 garage sale ah shit now we now we got to put explicit on this one damn it Uh, oh god at least it's on the first couple of minutes for youtube we'll be fine (laughs) uh it it was gary v it was gary v who said it yeah well, I think the the other one I heard that we probably heard a, a bunch of times is the the guy says, "I'm going to give you a million bucks, and mm-hmm. if I give you a million bucks, what's your what's your response?" And thank you. You know, the guy's like, "I'm ecstatic, like I'm 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 pumped. Like, are you are you jumping on the on the couches? Are you are you, you know, clapping hands and and screaming? Yeah, I'm real pumped." He goes, "Okay, but what if I told you that you get the million bucks, but you don't get to wake up?" He's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, that's the deal. You get the million bucks today, but you don't get to wake up tomorrow. Are you going to take it? He's like, no. He's like, so every day you wake up is better than getting a million dollars. And when, when I heard that and kind of clicked in my brain, I'm like, man, mm-hmm. man, that's, and I think like, you know, with, with the last like three years, COVID, all that stuff, like I've been to 11 funerals and I would say five of those are people that were very close to me. Um, and two of which were under the age of 40 and really good like lifelong friends. And you go, how like the scarcity of life, all of that, that, you know, we're, we're starting to see kind of the finiteness of life and how insignificant things are. And that's Mm -hmm. been a big change in my family where, you know, money buys a lot, money does a lot and money helps a lot, but you know, we've, we've transitioned into shopping for memories instead of things and, and shopping for experiences. Uh, I think that was a byproduct of COVID because we were so trapped in a cage forever that when we were finally set free, it was like, what do we want to do? What do we, what did we miss? What do we got to make up on? But it then became more habitual where it's like, we could go buy this thing or we can spend the same amount of money and do this experience together. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, you'll never regret the memories, right? You'll never, you're never going to look back and say, I wish I bought more things, right? It's, yeah. it's what, what can you experience uh, as an individual and as a family or with friends? And that, that's been a really big change. And that's kind of what philosophically has changed my, my view on money, right? Like kind of like we said, it's just a store of value. It's not, it's not really anything important. And not only that, when you think of your friendships and your relationships, what, like status means nothing to me. Like, I don't care what car you drive. I don't care how big your house is. Like when it comes down to it, people that bring joy to you are the ones you call are the ones you have over are the ones you want to share big moments with. None of that has anything to do with what you do for a living, how much money's in the bank, you know, what's in your, your dividend account. Like none of that matters. It really doesn't matter. Right. And I think with the conversation of success, it always gets back to money. And personally, it's usually bottom of the list for me when when you're trying to define what success looks like. So I think we're all on the same page. Going to that, uh, the subject of creating relationships and um, building on that. I know with your current business with with bad workwear, uh, you've done a lot of relationship building 
with your ambassador program. So, um, I don't know, maybe you could talk a bit about bad and, and kind of what you've built as far yeah. as, as far as a program there. Yeah. I mean, um, talking about opportunities, um, you know, bad was one of those moments where you kind of like walking into that agency and giving my resume, um, we were in a position with builder gear where we were taking a safety product across North America and I'd transitioned from, you know, kind of suits and ties to being on job sites and not having work wear. And, um, at the time, you know, it was in my mid thirties and, you know, I wasn't just going to wear, you know, the classic proverbial work pants. I wanted something that looked professional and, and felt, I felt good in and didn't exist. I went to Mark's work warehouse. I went to work authority, all these big, big companies that have all sorts of options. And I remember sending my wife a picture of me in the change room with a pair of Carhartt work pants that were a size 32. And I had my leg, both legs and one leg hole all the way up to my waist. And I wrote her, <laughs> this is what they call slim fit. And, uh, I was like, okay, I left with a pair of dockers and just called it a day. Um, and then I was on Instagram and I saw this pair of work pants that popped up and they were from bad workwear out of Australia. And I'm like, what is this? Who are these guys? This is unreal. It was the best looking pair of work pants I'd ever seen. Sent it to my wife. She's like, buy them. I'm like, it's 50 bucks in shipping. So I, I looked in, I'm like, someone's got to have them in the U S or Canada or whatever. Nobody was carrying them. And I reached out to them just on a whim saying, Hey, I love what you guys are doing. I think your brand's incredible. I think your products are incredible. We're a business that's going to be in the same target demographic as you working with trades folks across the country in the U S and Canada. And we'd love the opportunity to potentially bring bad along for the ride shot in the dark. What's the chances. And then I get an email from the founder saying we were looking for a way to get over there. And then we get this email from you. Let's set up a call. And, uh, it was about a six month process and, and, and Cam and I came to an agreement and got our business, the exclusive rights to the brand and the product in, in North America, which was a phenomenal opportunity and continues to be an amazing opportunity. So that was one of those paths. I didn't know I was going on. I didn't, didn't necessarily have the background or experience was very transparent with that, with, with the Australian team, but my passion was for that brand and branding and marketing as an expert in that field. And all that time leading up to that moment was really building that skill set to say confidently, I'm the right person to make this brand a household name. So um, that was serendipity working overtime. Um, but when we brought that brand to market, one of the strategies that I had was nobody knows who we are. It's from another world. Australia is so far away. There's not a lot of bleed in terms of brands that live there and brands we know about over here because there's 10,000 miles between us. So my strategy was I can market the idea of this being a great product, or I can have people tell the truth about what they really feel, which based on my own experience, experience in the products and the brand itself was going to be, they'd be blown away and I'll put my money where my mouth is. And, you know, we built a team really early on of about 60 people that were in the trades, very well respected, very good social network and, and, and follower counts. Um, and the option was try the gear and give us your honest feedback. And of those 60 people that we started with, 59 of them are still with us. Um, so I think that on its own is a big testament, but, um, that approach was the way to do it because, you know, I can have a fancy ad or I can have, you know, something saying that this is the best, this is great, this is wonderful. Or I can have somebody that you already trust and you follow, give the honest feedback about what this stuff is all about. And, um, you know, something like a waterproof hoodie, you're like, okay, this can't be as good as it is. And then you get somebody wearing it going, this is as good as it is. And they're telling the truth, then away you go, right? So, um, but the, the, the crux of what you're getting at, Corey, was sort of like the relationship side of things. It's back to what I said earlier. I don't approach this as, I want you to make me money. I want you to sell me products. I'm going to give you products and you need to do this for me. It, it really is. It starts with, I've had an experience where I had a need that wasn't met until I met bad. And I feel like that's a common thing. Are you happy with your work where are you on the quest for something better? And if so, are you willing to try this out to see if that's what this is? And 
I mean that. I really do mean it. And I think it's an easy thing for somebody to believe because I'm telling the truth. And when they get the product, my expectations with them is never, you know, give, give, give. It's keep it offline. I don't want you to post anything. You don't need to post anything. I just want you to try it. And then let's circle back. And if it's as good as I've claimed it is, then I think we're going to have a lot of fun working together. And I would say 95% of the time, it, it leads to a very long-lasting and uh, mutually beneficial relationship where they're very happy, we're very happy, and we do have a lot of fun working together and, and, and collectively make a pretty impressive impact. So um, when you were talking about sort of getting getting your fixes on, on networking and, and using this podcast as a way to kind of meet new people, um, I'm hungry for that too, and I find that the ambassador program that we've got allows me to kind of meet people from all over the place, different, different walks of life, different trades, different regions where they're living. And, and, uh, you know, that to me fills my cup on, on the need to meet new people and, and build honestly, some, some long-term friendships. Like I always joke, like we have some folks tied to our brand that met, got married and have a baby in the time I've been, been working with them with this brand. So like two ambassadors got together, you mean two ambassadors, well, two ambassadors. I don't know if they necessarily met directly through the bad program, but they're both represented us and they're both kind of in the influencer space. They've met, they've got married and have a baby in the time that I've known I'm working with that. So that's like uh, an interesting, an interesting one where I'm like, how cool is that? That, you know, when I say we build strong bonds, sometimes they're lifelong bonds. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's, 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 I guess for me, I'm always just looking for ways to, to engage. So this was one that not only was helpful for our business, but like I said, gave me kind of the week by week way to kind of engage with new people and, and, and oftentimes leaving those calls with, with new knowledge or new, new guidance. And then back to your point, about me always wanting to do that, I find that's one of the ways and places that I can give the most amount of value to somebody. Um, selfless value, really just saying, I want to help you and with nothing in return. And the experience that I've got over the last four years doing that, somebody who's just getting started, I have got lots of great advice. And the fun part is, is it's not my advice from my my day-to-day. It's actually the collective learning from hearing everybody else's success and how they've grown and flourished in, in kind of influencer marketing and saying, Hey, I can tell you with, with the surety that these three things work and here's three people that have done it and here's how they achieved it. And now I'm able to kind of speak confidently, but from somebody else's experience with nothing else, but the quest to try and help them grow. So Mm -hmm. that, that to me is like a really, it's a really sincere knowledge bank that I, I very, I'm very generous with and, and eager to share because it's just, you know, I've, I've, I've given those seeds, watched them be planted and, and harvested and that that success for them makes me even more motivated to do, do that for the next person. And, uh, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy yeah. it. One of the things, well, there's a few things I like about your story. One of the things that really comes to mind is um, just how relatable and real it is. You're talking about going to do something simple like buy pants. And you always hear these stories about like entrepreneurs or people who invent things. They're like, oh, there was no product to fill my need. Here it is. Like I created it or I found it or what have you and and brought it to other people. It's such a relatable thing. Um, But talking about the ambassador program, one thing that I really like that you did is you found people who are authentic. And I don't know that there's really a lot of that online in the world that we live in. I think a lot of people would probably agree with that. Everything is kind of a show. Like everything that we see is is very pre-planned and packaged and, and handed to us. And what you're doing is very real. It's very authentic. Um, picking people who are actually out in the world. Like I can remember going on Instagram and seeing some like bodybuilder drinking Mountain Dew and they're like, Oh, I got to have my Mountain Dew. It's like, there's no, no, not to, you know, talk trash about Mountain Dew, but there's no way they're drinking Mountain Dew. You should talk at trash the gym. about Mountain Dew. Come on. Well, I mean, I haven't had Mountain Dew in probably 20 <laughs> years, but Mountain Dew's terrible. I would not drink it at the, <laughs> that Simpsons bit with the crab juice. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, Mountain Dew though. No, who's drinking Mountain Dew at the gym or who, maybe, who maybe, works maybe out it, with regularity? 
maybe a pre-workout substitute or something but yeah i'm with he's you he's just doing the do man he's, he's just doing he's just the getting, do. he's getting paid for it um well I yeah mean, exactly like, guys like the logan pauls of the world where you you look at it and you go can i believe it like he's a great marketer but is that real is this really is this really what he claims it to be and um i don't know like for me um early in my sales career i i learned that the easiest way to be believed is to tell the truth it seems so straightforward mm-hmm. but the easiest way to be believed is just tell the truth yeah, and when yeah. i apply that to marketing um it really i think shine through with a lot of the work that Corey and i did at the y where it used to be a stock photo and overlay copy saying, you know, this is what you're going to get at the Y. And I'm like, well, how can I believe that when it's that person's not in our country and not Mm. in our facilities and not smiling because they've experienced anything we offer? Why don't we translate that into realness? And we did a whole initiative where whether it was childcare, whether it was health and fitness, summer camp, all our stuff was real people. And it seems so obvious. Tell the truth. Like just show, you know, that McDonald's hamburger. Imagine if you just put what it really looks like in that wrapped foil or whatever, right? And it's like all smushed yeah. down and gnarly. It's like, no, I've never eaten a burger that looks like it does in the commercials. But I bet you if a brand was honest about it and and almost self-deprecating about it, it'd be like, I'm going to eat at that burger joint because I know what yeah. I'm getting and they're willing to show that and say, it's still the greatest in the city. Right. Yeah, it's, and like, it's the Buckley's model, right? Like exactly. <laughs> it tastes exactly. awful, but it works. And yeah. I think, I think for me, like going through that experience with the Y and, and seeing the difference, like we, we got like the YMCA to me was never somewhere where I felt like, you know, a, like a precursor to the brand, uh, just in the public knowledge of it. I wasn't like, Oh, this is like a tear, 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 a jerker kind of brand. I'm going to, I'm going to weep openly. I've never cried more in public in my entire life than when I worked at the Y. Never in my life have I cried more openly in in public. And the stories you'd hear, because we started pulling it back and going, you know, what are we trying to get to? If if you're selling a membership, you know, it's not about the, the weights that you have and the equipment that you have. You know, we were telling stories about, you know, a senior citizen recovering from a heart attack. And what the rehabilitation looked like and the support they got at the YMCA. And yeah. we we're talking about somebody who lost their wife young and was lonely and the companionship and friendships that they built at the Y and all these things. A woman who was living off of, you know, from food bank to food bank that ended up getting her first job after, you know, dealing with a major health issue was like through the, all these different things was all yeah. stuff that was out there in the ether that nobody knew about that was just kind of like, marketing gold not because it was deceptive or because it was heavily influential it was relatable it was authentic and it was real so then naturally when i go into doing something like building a brand name over here for an existing product i didn't have to design it i didn't have to create it the the brand itself and the products were already fantastic my only job was how do i get people to agree that this is worth trying and back to your point just just be real be real and have real people telling those stories and think the the why experience is really kind of what made me have to do it that way because it was like how do you go back to the other way of doing it like it just can't Mm -hmm. i can't one of the uh best pieces of advice i got it was from uh, a gentleman that had owned a bakery in a small town it was when i was working at the bank and uh I was starting my business up and I said to him, he, he was, uh, retiring from his business after 40 years. Yeah. I said to him, you've run that bakery for a long time. What's, uh, what's the best piece of advice that you could give me as a new business owner, someone that's just starting out. And his advice was just what you said. Always tell the truth to your customers, to whoever you're dealing with, your suppliers, whoever it is, always tell the truth because you never have to try to remember the truth. Truth is the truth. If you tell a lie, if you're like, oh, that, you know, I didn't get that done because of whatever lie you want to tell. Yeah. You have to remember that lie two days down the road, two months down the road, two years down the road. 
they come back and say, what was that reason again? Oh shit. I got to remember right. that, that right. lie that I told two years ago. Right. And have accomplices. Your staff have to be on the same. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah. Corroborate so, story. Uh, so uh, yeah, same thing. Like as I've gone through business, it's always been, I'm not going to be able to, if, if I can't meet your deadline, it's because of this. And this, this is how it is. Where do you want to yeah. go from here? Like, let's just, let's just be honest about it. Right. And it, it's a good way. It's, it is a really, it seems so simple, but you do sometimes in your head go, oh, I could just lie about this. Why do you think in a world where people are really craving authenticity, like that's my feeling is that people want something that feels real. Why are we still spoon fed so much stuff that's just artificial? The way I would put it is there's, if everybody was honest, there would be a lot less success. Like, and I'll frame this this way. Okay. Think of just food. Okay. If everybody was really honest about what we're eating, how much do you think you'd consume of the things we consume? Hey, this is going to make your heart explode. And you know that like raging diarrhea you have, it's because you've drank this every morning. Like if everybody was really sincere and honest about everything that they're offering, there's just too much garbage. And by mm -hmm. virtue, if there's too much garbage being sold, it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that they're going to choose to do the deceptive version of it or the, the, the disingenuine version of it where they make you believe it's better or, or healthier or more impressive than it really is. And by virtue, you're going to have to sift through all of that, that, that media garbage to go, what's actually real out there. And it's becoming more and more difficult, but I, I just think trash is marketed with you're basically putting lipstick on a pig. And yeah. that, there's a lot of that. And when, you know, I think the interesting part with my, with my bad work experience is the, when I meet with people that learn about the product and the brand for the first time and how like unjustifiably excited they get. Like if I meet with like an ad agency or, or somebody that maybe does like digital marketing or something, they're not pumping my tires. They're literally like, we could make this thing explode because they look at it going, this has all the ingredients to be magical because think of Carhartt, Dickies, like all these yeah. major brands out there, they're not doing what we're doing and we've already done it and it's already here. It's not like I'm like, oh, we're going to revolutionize. These are the things we're going to create. It's, it's been here. It's already here and it's already selling through the way you'd expect it to. And you know, to me, that's like, that's where things are going to go. And somebody mentioned the other day about like objects are going to become like, there's going to be like a Renaissance period for objects. So a good example would be you walk in your kitchen, you're uninspired by the pots and pans in your kitchen. There's pots and pans. Like no one's like, I have the blah, blah, blah pot. Like no one cares. It's just a pot. It's just a pan. But now pay attention to what's out there. There is, you know, designer pots that are this, they're all this certain color line and they're made of these like, you know, toxin free, you know, ceramic, this blah, blah, blah. They're making something so bland be almost like an industry, kind of like what Yeti did. Here I am drinking my Yeti. We're not getting sponsored yet. Are we? Hey, you getting them sponsored? <laughs> but like I'm drinking from a Yeti cup and they just took an object, just a random thing that didn't really matter and they made it matter. And I feel like that is like the lane that I see not, not necessarily being um, cluttered because to do that in an impressive way, like say Yeti did, means you have to have a product that's actually great and then have the ability to prove that in the market under a cluttered umbrella. So you're not going to do that with something like um, the next potato chip easily because it's just a cluttered space. I think if anything, when somebody receives our products, they, they've been told they're great and they have high expectations. When I got my first waterproof hoodie, I was like an 11. I got it, put it on, and it was a 14. That's yeah. the fun part is not only are we making like really strong claims 
but we have something that can back it up. Yeti says, we'll keep your ice cold for two days and you go fishing and you've got a cooler full of beer that you forget about in the back of your hot truck for two days and you fire it open and it's ice cold. That <laughs> is why they, who they are, who they are not because of some weird marketing tactic. That's, you know, found a way to make people believe more of the falsehoods. It's actually just having a great product while also having a great distribution channel and a great marketing team because everyone's like, this is the best coffee mug. This is the best cooler. This is the best thing for me to put my mixed drinks in when I got to walk the kids to, to the bus stop in the morning and I'm an early morning drinker, right? Like I'm, I'm, jo- <laughs> I'm joking about that. That's a, that's a dad joke, um, but kind of serious because it's getting sometimes, so, sometimes you need an old fashioned <laughs> yeah, at 7am. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, uh, I'm, I'm with you. And I think like the bigger lesson about all of this is just kind of back to our, our notion of, of authenticity. It's like, it doesn't matter what business you're going into. Just, just tell the truth. Like it's so painfully obvious and so straightforward. And I think you were asking why, when we're craving it so much, we're getting, we're, we're getting less and less of it. I'm actually, I'm actually seeing really good examples of businesses that are bringing the heat on the authenticity factor so yeah we're we're about we're a little bit over the hour mark so uh derek thanks so much for coming on and i just uh, if you have anything else that you wanted to add yeah i mean this has been awesome i think we've, we've, we've dove into a bunch of different things and covered a lot so um you know i'm hoping somebody listening can take take some wisdom from what we've chatted about today and if if anything the three of us are all kind of proof that you know, self-doubt is, is vicious, you know, believe in yourself and, and find a way to, to take some chances on things that you think you might not be capable of. Um, we've all learned firsthand that you can surprise yourself when you actually just commit and, and take the leap. So hopefully somebody finds some inspiration in our stories. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah. yeah thanks thanks lot, for having Derek. me guys. Nice, nice chatting. Yeah.